Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, Monday edition, August 23rd edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. 53 days. The countdown continues to the 2021-22 season, but we've got a lot to get to in this episode. Bill Meltzer is going to join us in just a moment. Here's what's on tap. Travis Sanheim has got a new two-year contract, which will take him right up to unrestricted free agency. Connor Bunneman has a new two-year contract. That one is a two-way, one-way contract. What does all that mean? We'll explain coming up in just a couple of minutes. Also, we're going to do a little development camp preview and look at the forwards that will be in development camp just five days from now on August 28th. That'll go August 28th through September 1st. And we'll look at the forwards in particular in this episode. And we'll tackle some Ask Billy questions from Twitter as well in regards to the Flyers offseason, coming season, prospects, salary cap, and more. Uh, all on the way. Joining us on this episode is Bill Meltzer from NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. Billy, how you doing? I'm doing really well. You know, Flyers have uh, everybody signed. The development camp is right around the corner. On the other side of that is this training camp. It's, uh, you know, it's getting real. What do you do with your last days here? Because when when development camp starts, that's going to lead us into basically captain skates and training camp and preseason, and we're right into a, a full-blown 82-game season. How do you kind of uh, get the last days of our offseason checked off for you? Well, <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it is researching on what's, what else is going on around the league, looking at uh, who might still be unsigned, what teams yep. might be inviting guys in on, on tryout basis, and you know, that, that's the time to take care of that stuff because then it then becomes all focused on you know, your own camp and all that stuff. Yeah, it, it's this period now of the preparation for the madness that's a, a right around the corner. Uh, before we get to kind of a, a development camp and rookie camp preview, uh, we have a couple contracts to talk about. Let's talk about Travis Sanheim, the big one first. Uh, he signed a two-year deal worth an average annual value of $4.675 million. It was kind of the range that you and I talked about uh, just last week on an episode, and the term pretty much the same as well. Uh, I'm not shocked by this number. Uh, it's pro- I think it's pretty fair. I know from an optics standpoint, Bill, it doesn't look great because Sanheim is coming off a tough season, as is just about every player on that team. Uh, but this seems like a, a fair contract and a way to, uh, to to bridge the next two years for him. Sure, and, and when you know when Travis signed his last contract um, and you know, signed the bridge deal, I mean Travis was betting on himself that on this deal he'd be making more than he ended up making. So you know it really it it did cost Travis a little bit based on. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it was a, a tough season for him, a tough season for the team. I mean, he made what he made because if you look at contracts around the league, you know, the price on defenseman has been inflated, generally speaking. Um, you know, Travis, uh, before that, had a good season before that. He still is only 25 years old. Um, you know, he's, uh, I mean, he does, he does a lot of things well physically in terms of his uh, skating ability and his size, his ability to contribute up ice. And he did. He had, he had a, get a rough year, particularly defensively. But, you know, you, ba- you basically have to look at 2020, 21, and this goes for, for Carter Hart, too, is essentially half of a season. It was a half of a season that was affected by a pandemic and all that, too. So it was only going to it was only going to pull down what a player would make, you know, to a degree. It wasn't going to radically change what Sandheim was going to make. I, I think that ultimately they arrived at a compromise deal of sorts. Um you know, Sandheim is not giving up any unrestricted free agency. It's a two-year deal, so it walks him directly 
the UFA status in in return. Uh, you know, four four seven six. It's a nice raise, but it's not. Uh, you know, I, I thought if this thing went to arbitration, they could end up paying over five million off. So it's uh, so I think that it's you know a little bit on both sides, and it's also Sandheim again betting on himself a little bit. And if Travis has a really good season this coming season, then you know they could potentially extend him ahead of becoming an unrestricted free agent, or he could hold out for the open market. So that's what that's what's on his side of it. Yeah, you think I think I, I'm assuming the ask on his end was about five and a quarter. And a lot of that was probably predicated, Bill, on, on what these defensemen have been getting paid this offseason. If people haven't noticed, D still getting paid even in the flat cap world, pandemic or no pandemic. And the other thing is, is you see, the, the, why, the reason why I figure this number is pretty fair is because um, they walked them right up to free agency. Yes. I mean, th- that's an advantageous position for a player in the sense that, you know, getting to be UFA status as quickly as possible and without having any entanglements is certainly a good situation for the player. That's a, that's an ideal situation for a player. It, it maximizes his leverage. Even if, you know, even if he has a, a good, good season this coming year, you know, he could get, he could get an extension that, that, uh, that buys UFA years, which would be a, a big chunk of a raise. Or, you know, or he could just, just wait an additional year and test the open market. And, you know, by that point, uh, by that point, probably the salary cap ceiling would be yeah. going up again. And he could have a big payday on the other side of it. So, I mean, the Flyers were able to get a, a number under the $5 million range by, by, you know, by a significant enough margin, I guess. Uh, two years to evaluate as to whether they want to commit longer term to him. Two years for Travis to decide whether he wants to test the market or, or extend. So it's, uh, you know, it's something that works out on both sides. And, and it, as you said, if you look at what the market has been with what defense have been signing for, it's, it's a fair deal on both sides, in my opinion. But when you look at the Flyers D in total with Sanheim now wrapped up for two years and Ristolainen's in the final year of his deal. But yeah. um, if things work out there, that I think that'll be an easy re-sign for the most part. And then, you know, Yandel's on the one-year deal, but you have Cam York in the wings as well. And when you look at the way D have been getting paid and, you know, north of $9 million for several players, and you look at the, the, the way the salary structure for the Flyers is allocated with six more years of Ryan Ellis at a very palatable number, Ivan Provorov's number, very palatable, Travis Sanheim's under five, Cam York will be on a rookie deal. And you just look at the situation and, and the positioning they're in, Zamula coming, whether he ends up here or ends up as uh, another piece to, to bring something else in, whatever it is, uh, the way they, if you look at their D, a lot of people consider it a top five D in the league, yet there's not a guy making over seven mil. Right. And, you know, that that's how you have to essentially structure it. And, you know, you go another year, you go another year out, you know, because you do have to think long term too. You know, Yandel's on a one year. Uh, Justin Braun is only signed through this season. Yeah. So, you know, that's, uh, the, there will be opportunities for, for younger players in the near future. Uh, York will still be on his entry-level deal at that point. So, you know, so you can work a guy who, who's not making a lot of money into that mix for a period of time. And that's, uh, you know, that's how you, that's how you progress towards, you know, potentially, uh, potentially signing some guys longer term. You, and you, I mean, that's just, it's it just, you know, it's just what you have to do. I mean, when you, when you end up in the territory, listen, I mean, the Flyers could have gotten Seth Jones, we'd all be, turning backflips on it, but 
Look, look at what his salary level is. It's a, it's a $9 million deal. Look at what Darnell Nurse just extended for in Edmonton. You know, the, the Flyers, in terms of managing cap allocation for the D, didn't, didn't do too badly overall. That's why if this D works out and it is really, you know, a top five D in the league and you look at the price point, then you're really in a good situation. You really are, and coupled with what they have coming. Uh, they did sign uh, Connor Bunneman as well, Bill. Uh, a bit of a confusing contract. It just when you first read it, you kind of go, huh? <laughs> but it's a uh, two-year deal, a two-way, one-way contract with an average annual value of 750 k The two-year, two-way, one-way. The first year is a two-way contract. He can go up and back. The second year is a one-way. Uh, and, uh, you know, you look at that situation. This is a good deal. The player gets the one way in the second year. If it's not working out, then he can find a new home pretty easily. Oh yeah, I mean that's a, that's an NHL minimum salary, and if it works out that he's in the American League a year from now, I mean seven hundred fifty thousand in the American League level is a really nice salary at that mm-hmm. level, um, and it, it's some certainty for him, and for you know for the for the Flyers. I mean it's you know it's, it's flexibility too, so it's. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and he is in the mix for as a call-up guy. I don't know if he's in, I don't know if he's in the inner circle here to to win a spot out of camp. But we've said that a couple of camps, right? And uh, yeah. two years ago, he broke camp with the team, and last year he played a you know pretty significant chunk with the with the NHL team after coming off the uh, coming off the taxi squad initially. And although his play tailed off after a little while, he had a he had a nice start for the team. But he's a guy who who could see some NHL games this season, you know. I don't, don't want to go beyond a year, but it's a uh, you know little secu- little security two year deal. It's a uh, you know it's a it's a depth addition that's in house. He's still he's reasonably young, so it's uh, you know it, it's just a kind of signing that you see really in, in many organizations. But yeah, the I guess the confusion is that it's uh, that it's two way one way. But I'd say you know have seen those before too with guys who were who were uh, young restricted free agents who were not going to probably be top level guys in the NHL and the you know they're they're trading off um, some security for a year or two, so it's uh, again something that something for both sides. Now, Bill, with the with the Sanheim deal, it puts them over the cap, and this is something we talked about as well. If they go over the cap, how do they handle the situation? Could they be sending someone out? Uh, that's an option, obviously, uh, but another option is not to send anybody out, but just ha- have twenty two play- roster players, not twenty three. Correct. Yeah, they they could carry thirteen forwards, seventy and be slightly under the cap uh, by about, I believe, 220 to 225,000, which is less, which is less than half of a, a player at an entry level deal. So that's not really a, that's not really a, a lot of wiggle room under the cap, but it's a little bit, you know, because you do prorate call-ups um, during the season and you're banking a little bit of space that you have. I, I still think there'll be, I think potentially another move on the other side of it. Um, you know, I agree. Uh, but, I don't yeah. think the two fifty is enough to carry. I, I don't think you want to carry more. Enough. I don't think that's enough cap space for yeah. a whole season. Um, but but they but they are not you know they're not over if they carry a 13, 13 forward rather than fourteen. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I would tend to think that there's a move that's going to happen here, and um, they'll get some kind of asset in return that doesn't have dollars attached, right. and that's the way it'll work, and and they'll be able to be a little bit more comfortable. Because the last thing you want, you don't want to get into a situation where you call ups and now you're into a situation where you, you, you can't call certain guys up or you can't do certain things from a roster standpoint in season just because of the cap management issue. Right. And, 
you know, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in camp. But uh, they, the player that I they put in the article, just because he's coming off of, uh, you know, a down season and the, the way the numbers work out is uh, Nicobe Cubell, just yeah. being that, you know, he makes $1.075 million. Well, you know, the maximum you can bury in the AHL is $1.075 million. Yeah. So, That's purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and he he had a frustrating season as well, one that frustrated the coaches as well. A lot of times not moving his feet and getting caught and, and drawing penalties or committing penalties, rather. And um, a, ferocious, a, a ferocious forechecker when he's going, but uh, like a lot of elements, we didn't see that last year. Now, Bill, uh, the development camp is coming up. It's, it's right around the corner, uh, August 28th through September 1st. 17 forwards, 10D, two goaltenders are all slated to attend. Um, and it should be pretty interesting, uh, not only just because they didn't have one last year, but to get a look at some of, of these players. And, and you know, kind of highlighting the forward group is what we're going to look at here today. You know, Wade Allison in that group, Jackson Cates in that group. Uh, Tyson Forster, Morgan Frost, uh, Tanner Lashinsky, uh, some interesting names here. Isaac Ratcliffe, you know, I, I mean, so there's some interesting players in, in this camp, and we'll get some interesting uh, kind of data and and a look at some of these guys that we really haven't seen a lot of because of the the truncated uh, AHL season, or some of the fact some of these players just barely got on the ice at all in the last year. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are you know going through these players, there are so many injuries in the system. Last year, it was it, it was uh, you know it was almost like a, really it's, it's this organization cursed because it seemed like everybody every prospect especially the forward group went down at some time last year. So you know it uh, with the year before that being shortened and then last year a lot of players either getting on the ice late in some cases really hard hardly getting on the ice at all or being out for the season. You know it, it was hard to get a read on that group. So. Uh, and hopefully for, for many reasons, that group stays healthy. And that, that's why, to me, also the development camp means for for the older players a little more than usual. Because yeah. usually when you have a guy who's, you know, on the the end of an entry-level deal and the he's doesn't quali- he still qualifies rather as an NHL rookie, usually the development camp is really just a tune-up, you know, get in shape i mean usually the camps are in july rather than in, in late august but i mean it's, it's just a way to get their feet wet get in shape you know maybe mentor some of the guys who were in the camp for the first time really this is this is really getting ready for the main camp and starting to make a good impression um so this is you know they always they always emphasize that it's a developmental camp and not a tryout camp but they they want to be noticed and therefore therefore i think that this camp more than your typical development camp means something. Yeah. And some interesting names here, too. Um, Zade Wisdom doesn't look like he'll participate in on-ice activities, may do so in off-ice. Um, but a few of these guys that are going to be in this camp uh, have played a few NHL games, as you alluded to. I mean, we look at guys like Jackson Cates. Uh, after his season was over at Minnesota Duluth, he get got into a few games. Uh, you got Obviously, Wade Allison is one of those guys. To, you know, you look at Morgan Frost unfortunately got hurt last year but this is an important camp for Morgan Frost because he's looking to make the big club once again as the third line center I would assume yeah I mean that, that opportunity is there with Nolan Patrick having having been traded and you know of course there's there's competition um Scott Lawton could play that spot or you know they they could move other pieces around uh you know I mean but there there's an opportunity there for Morgan to win that third line center job and 
probably power play two time, you know, the second power play unit time on, on top of that, because if you have Morgan Frost in your roster, you're probably going to want them in, in the power play mix somewhere as well. So it, it's crucial for Morgan. Actually, you know, there, there was a whole Twitter debate going on about Morgan today. And, I, you know, I, I think the point that I, that I tried to emphasize in, in the debate that was ongoing is, listen, you know, he had some inconsistency his first year in the NHL as a 20 year old, which is hardly anything unusual, but in, you know, in the 20 games that he played, there were also highlights in there. There were times when he was pretty darn effective actually in times when he wasn't so effective. Yeah. Um, you know, it was really more in terms of his all around game, uh, bringing that along a little, a little more consistency at making plays at the, the NHL pace of play, which is all, it's all part of the adjustment process. And, um, you know, he played in the played in the American League All-Star game and probably lost some points just because the Phantoms really struggled to finish. You know, he, he had a respectable point total. He might have had, a, I'd say, I would estimate eight to ten more points if they had a little bit more finish on the team that year. So, you know, so he, I think he had on the whole a pretty good rookie year. Um, last year, I thought he had a really solid camp. In fact, he made the NHL roster out of camp. Yeah. Um, I, I thought his camp was fairly comparable to Joe Farabee's. Both of them took a step forward in camp, and you know there wasn't there wasn't a lock. It wasn't a lock that Morgan was going to make the NHL roster to start the season, but he did. He he earned a spot and had a good camp. And then second period of his second game, you lose him for the season, and that's unfortunate. It it's pretty frustrating, but you know, but it's uh, you know, unfortunately that happens sometimes. It, I think. I think you want to you wanted him to show that he's healthy, that he's not tentative in making plays. And there was no question. There's no question of his ability to create scoring chances and put up some points. It's just a question of competing at the NHL level, being able to handle the defensive responsibilities of playing center in a top nine role in the in the NHL and you know upholding it. And that's that those are the those are the unknowns with him. But I think there there's a spot for the taking for him, and I just I just don't agree with any assessment that Morgan's been a disappointment so far. The only disappointment was the injury. Yeah, and and look, a pandemic stopped it that his nineteen you know twenty season, and then he was on the the taxi squad, and then didn't play a lot. And like you said, he played the game in a period, and then you know had the surgery on the shoulder and the whole thing. Uh, we'll see how he comes back. It's an important year for Morgan Frost. Uh, Bill, one, when you're looking at this 3C position, um, how would you kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, power rank it? Would you say the, the kind of the odds here, Morgan Frost, best chance, Scott Lawton, second best chance, uh, maybe uh, Nate Thompson third, and then Claude Giroux would be the fourth option at 3C? Yeah, I, I would think with Thompson, he, he's really a 4C. Yeah. You, you'd be, uh, if, if they end up with... They he played a little three C last year with Winnipeg, though. Oddly enough, I know, I know, I know. But I, I, I would think ideal in terms of ideal usage, mm-hmm. you know, fourth, fourth line penalty kill. If, if he's playing in your top nine, that's uh, that's a, that's a little bit of a, a little bit of a rough situation, and on more than a very short term basis. And it would probably also mean that Scott Lawton's injured too. If he, yeah, you know, because, I mean, because Lawton, Lawton can play wing or he can play center, and I happen to like him probably a little better on wing than at center, but he's, he's certainly is capable of holding down a, a three C role. And, you know, he brings, brings the two way game and all the rest of that too. So I, I would say that, uh, you know, of course, Scott Lawton is in, is in your, is in your mix regardless, whether that'll be center or wing, I don't know, 
but I think that's that's the main competition right now for for Frost is it's going to be Frost or Lawton. I think opening night, third line center, and you know, and, and if Morgan's on at center, then Lawton's probably in a way. Um, another guy that's interesting to me is uh, Maxime Shushko. Um, I, I know he dealt with some injuries last year as well. Fully healthy and ready to go. I believe so. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing with Sushko is that he's a because a good good size frame can skate. He yeah. had a really good rookie year with the Phantoms and a really pretty disappointing year this past year. Although he did make his NHL debut, he got into a couple of games. A lot of that was COVID driven when the team was was riddled with COVID cases. He got he got his opportunity to get into a couple of games. Um, I, I think I think Max struggled. A little bit in those games and he struggled a little bit with the phantoms last year too um he was a guy who started the year in the khl so he kind of had a head start yeah um he, his team in the khl had a COVID outbreak and he missed some games uh during that period of time and he ended up on the fourth line there but still it was an opportunity to play ahead of everybody else and you know he, he got off the decent enough start uh with the phantoms that he that he got got up with the Flyers, but I, I I think that he's capable of playing. I think significantly better than he played overall last year. I thought he was better as a rookie in the second season. So, you know, if, if uh, Sushko was going to move himself into a position where you think of him as a call-up guy, potentially as a guy who could crack your NHL lineup at some point, you know, maybe on a long-term basis, if he if he does take a step forward. It's it's an important year for him because if he doesn't take a step forward this year, and um, you know it's a new coaching staff in Lehigh Valley, and and he ends up in that similar kind of third line, fourth line role in the American League and doesn't really push forward, then uh, you know then then he falls back in the woodwork in terms of where he might be in a depth chart. But I think it's a it's an important year for Max to you know put his best foot forward and, and show something a little bit better than a year ago. Uh, let me paint this scenario for you, because another guy that's going to be at the development camp is Tyson Forster. Uh, let's make the assumption, I, I don't know that we have any clarity on the CHL, NHL uh, coming to, if you played more than 20 games last year in the AHL, you can uh, bypass going back to the CHL this year, do we? I haven't heard 100% clarity, but it sounds like that's the direction it's going, and it's mostly OHL players who, yeah. who that, you know, would fall into that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's probably likely that he'll be able to play for the Phantoms. And also, you know, that would mean his contract would slide for another year. So it's it's, it's basically two AHL years without burning a year of entry-level deal. It's great. And, <laughs> oh, it's great. And, you know, Forster, you talk about guys who've had, you know, injury issues. He had two of them last year. He had yeah. one. He had one his, his first or second game that was a, a leg injury. looked really scary, actually, at the time. And another injury which is an upper body injury when he got pushed into the end boards. And that was, that was really frightening looking, you know, and then he had another injury over the summer that made him miss the, uh, uh, world junior summer showcase, but he's okay now. I mean, it's so, you know, thankfully, thankfully he didn't have to have any surgeries. He should be healthy, but I, I would think, I would think another American league year for, for Forrester, but I'll tell you that, uh, you know, when he got on a little bit of a role in season last year for the Phantoms, that's a very impressive hockey player in terms of his offensive instincts, yep. um, his hands. He has an outstanding shot and ability to find the seams and get into the scoring areas, even though he's not the fastest skater around. And he's a very underrated passer, too. He's, he's, he's smart when he has the puck on his stick. So, you know, um, 
skating is a work in progress. All around game is a work in progress, but a, but a, but a type of prospect that I think Flyers fans should be pretty excited for, for the long term because he has a lot of upside. Bill, he hits one of those strides again this year where he's playing really well at the American league level. And there's an opportunity. Could he, could he, could he be a call up? Could he make his NHL debut in the 2021, 22 season? I, I feel like he can because of, of what he showed last year. And if he's, on a heater down there with the the Phantoms, assuming again that he's able to play with the Phantoms this season, uh, we could we could see him at some point this year. Yeah, it's not of injuries or whatever may be the yeah. reason. Yeah, I mean, certain, certainly not impossible that uh, that there there could be a point when he would come up and well, you like know to see and that then, shot on the trigger on the power. That play. would be. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's you know, and that, it's funny. You know, the Flyers the Flyers for so long talking about needing that that big right handed shot somewhere on a power yeah. play. Now they have two guys potentially that can do that because because Wade Allison has a heck of a shot too. Yep. So you know Forster and Forster and Allison can both long term fill that role. Maybe Allison sooner than than Forster, but yeah, that's that's a one the one heck of a weapon potentially in the, you know in the long term. No matter how much the game changes with east west passes in the offensive zone and and the, how good the goalies are and how hard they how hard they are to beat in today's NHL. Uh, there's still no, there's still always a, a big need for a guy with a big shot, and Forster you has it, and Allison's got it. Oh yeah, and and not just not just heavy shot, but accurate too. So yep. that's uh, yeah, I mean that's uh, like I said that, that that's a great weapon. The Flyers, it's been a while since the Flyers have had a particularly right-handed shot who can who can bring that. Yeah, and the, the part of it too, it's not not even necessarily that the player scores from that position, just that the shot is so much to handle that it, it's hard for a goaltender to either directional uh, a rebound into the corner or stop a play by covering a puck. He's fighting the puck because the shot gets on top of you so quickly. Um, let's get to a few Ask Billy questions. I solicited uh, on Twitter for a few, Bill. Uh, so let's get to some. We kind of answered a couple of these already, uh, but let's start with Colin Newby. He says, do you expect that Keith Yandel is going to play the first 43 games of the season to break the NHL Ironman record? Well, let's for the, let's for the sake of assumption, just assume he's healthy. How much do you think this forty-three game part of it is part of the equation? Uh, if he's maybe not playing great or things aren't going well with the team, um, how do you think that plays out? I mean, honestly, I, I don't think Elaine Vigneault can worry about the Absolutely. about setting the record. You know, and then there might even be other certain matchups during the course of the season where, you know, it, it, I, I think that. To start the season, he'll be in there every game, um, and then you evaluate from there how he's playing, how the team is playing, and, and I mean, forty-three games out—that's more. That's a little more than half of a season, and a lot can change. And uh, you know, I mean, I think Yandel understood that coming in. I mean, but honestly, I think that'd be the same thing for Yandel wherever he signed. It didn't. It didn't affect his streak, but he ended up a healthy scratch in the playoffs for for Florida this year a couple yeah. of times. It's just just part of a player getting older, and you know, and, and part of the equation of trying to put up the best best lineup that you can. So, I don't think that the he's going to be kept in the lineup just to break the record, and then then you'll do what you'll do. But but I think he'll start out, you know, he'll start out as an every game player, and then and then evaluate from there. I'll have to look at the schedule at some point and see if they're home if on that night if he were to break the record. It's an interesting look. He hasn't played, you know, any games for the Flyers yet. But to to break that record, it is an impressive record. It's so hard uh, right. to answer the bell every night in in this league with how physical and fast and 
and demanding it is with games and short windows and all that. And to, to be able to do it as long as he has is incredibly impressive. It's why you look at Claude Giroux and you kind of go, geez, like, it's amazing. He he plays so many games. And I always say this, it doesn't matter how skilled you are, how great of a player you are. The, the, only, the, the biggest thing that matters is availability. Because if you can have all the skills in the world, but if you ain't available, it doesn't matter. And staying healthy and taking care of your body and doing all those things, are they're important elements of it. Uh, let, let's go to, uh, I think this is J-I-J-J-L-E, Jigili, I guess we'll call it. He says, uh, if the Flyers look to unload a player in a trade to create some cap space flexibility for the upcoming season, is a guy like Nicholas Albe-Kubel the most tradable asset we would be willing to part with? Well, we talked about Albe-Kubel, but is there anybody else that kind of fits the bill here? Well, then, then you have some higher salaried players. Um, you know, uh, I mean, listen, JVR was not protected in the expansion draft. I mean, the Flyers weren't especially keen on losing him. It was yep. just a, a, you know, a way of getting a whole chunk of cap space at once. If Seattle would have taken him, I don't even know how, how much he was shopped in the offseason. Where, you know, whereas you knew, you knew Voracek was being shopped and, you know, there were all the rumors that were around it too. And it was no, it was no secret with Ghost having been, been waived a season ago and you know being in, in various trade rumors that if the flyers could possibly move them they would and of course they ended up taking a a deal that was uh in terms of an asset management was an unfavorable deal just to be able to get the cap relief so but with that was never the case really with jvr you know jvr was uh it's coming off of a solid season you know and and all the rest of that but i mean in terms of strictly as a cap management move where you might be taking a little bit back or, or, or whatever. I mean, it's a possibility. If we're, if we're talking about guys who potentially could be moved, would be interest, be, be of interest to other teams around the league. I mean, that, there, there's a player right there. I don't think they want to move a young guy, a, a connect type, but I mean, there's certainly, they certainly would be able to move them if, if they, if they were so inclined to do so. And I don't think they're going to move any defensemen right off the bat. They just they just re, you know, they just reformulated the defense. So I, I think a guy like Abe Kubel would be the most likely. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I just it, it's one that wouldn't create an unpatchable hole. Is maybe the way I look at it as well. Um, that is is very important. Um, let me ask you uh, about the LTIR loophole because uh, we were asked this by SMSS seventy nine and says. How frustrating is it that the LTIR loophole has not yet been closed? Sanheim and Hart both are coming off incredibly disappointing years, yet both got nice raises. Do you think that might grant them some mental clarity to focus on their game, or does it lead to more pressure? I don't want to get into the LTIR loophole. I don't want, I'm just going to avoid that part of the question. That's too complicated for me. Not you, but me. Um, but Sanheim and Hart, they did both get raises, Bill, and we talked about it uh, when each of their deals came out. Uh, but I don't think it – puts any undue pressure on the players to me it's the business part that's now in the rearview mirror and they can concentrate on hockey so i would i would kind of fall into the camp of mental clarity yeah i I would say mental clarity also especially because you know neither one is a one-year deal so it's not uh you know it's they don't have to worry about it even immediately okay well they're in a salary drive for the you know year after so I mean I I would just say that it's uh, it's an opportunity to turn the page, um, put last year behind them, and uh, and go forward from there without uh, having the contract hanging over their heads. And it's not like they it's not like either guy made is making so much on this current deal that it that is a number that just 
hangs over your head. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, you got to go back some years. But, uh, you know, when the Flyers brought in Chris Gratton, the, the numbers on the contract just hung over Chris's head the whole time he was here. Yeah. You know, couldn't live up to it. So I don't I don't think that's the case with something like this. Um, Broad Street Buzz tweeted in with an interesting question. They said, uh, since 1992, after the acquisition of Lindros, what Flyers team do you consider to be the best one you've watched? I've been thinking about this. I mean, we've seen some teams go to conference finals, um, you know, of course, in, in 2004, when Tampa Bay ends up winning the Cup over Calgary is, is one I think of. I think of a team like the, the 99 team, Bush's rookie year. I look at a team, 97, where they go to the final and they were favored to beat Detroit. They got swept in the final. Uh, 2010, they get to a final, but that was, I mean, that was that was a good team, but it, one where John Stevens lost his job in December and uh, Lobby didn't get the, the ship pointed straight until a little bit later. But if I'm going to go with any of those teams, I'd probably look at 97 just because of how dominant they, some of those great players were. Yeah, I'm on 97, of course, like they, they – uh got to the finals pretty easily and then they ran into Detroit and then uh, it was pretty ugly in the finals. Um, you know, I, I would actually, I mean, they, you could go with kind of any of those teams. I would say just in terms of sheer fun, I, I would say 94, 95, because that was the breakthrough. That's where the Legion of doom was formed. Yeah. Jordan comes in, Hexy comes back. You know, the team uh, had a real tough series that they ultimately lost with the devils, but it just, it just felt like the sky was the limit for this group. Lindros wins the Hart Trophy. You know, uh, Renberg was even better his second year than his first year. And it, and it just felt like this this is a special group. and They're going to win something. You know, and then after that, then after that, it felt like, you know, they had some really, really good teams. 95-96 uh, was, was an excellent team. And they brought in Howard Chuck and, and all the rest of that. It was probably, yeah. I would say, it was probably Hexy's second or third best year of his career that year. So Hex, Hexy was in place that year and had a really good year. I still don't know how they lost to Florida in the playoffs that year. Um, you know, and then 96, 97, you know, it was, was, it was an odd year because it was an excellent team, but nobody ever seemed happy, you know? Yeah. Um, they, and of course they, they got to the, got to the conference final and that series against the Rangers is a, is a special memory, but I would go with some of those other teams. And I would also say uh, that the 1999, 2000 team, Bush's rookie year, yeah. you mentioned that in terms of a, in terms of a group that was close knit, and had great leadership in the room. That might have had the best leadership of, of any of the teams, and they were really all playing for one another by the playoffs. It was just a, you know, that was the uh, the five overtime game year, and just yeah. uh, you know, that was, a, that was that was a fun ride until what happened in Game Seven against the Devils. Yeah, yeah. It, it had a share of drama too, as we know. Yes, with Eric. Uh, yeah, and and the way that played out with Eric and everything, and. But, uh, you know, Flyers are up three three games to one against the Devils. Oh, go to the finals. And then, oh, geez, that happens. It's like, you got to be kidding me. But that's the way it goes, I guess. Um, one last thing, Bill, before we wrap up this episode. Um, one of the great players in the history of the game, one of the great goaltenders, has decided to call it a career, uh, not by his choosing, but because of health reasons and, and the heart issue that he has in Henrik Lundqvist. He was slated to play for the Washington Capitals last year. Got the report that he was unable to go. Tried to make a go of it once again this year um, with the with the procedure that he had uh, for his heart. He, he can't play anymore. He was a great goaltender, um, and one that it it's weird. Like with bands and goaltenders, I always think guys, you know, there's really good bands that you can't replicate. Nobody else sounds like them, 
And yep. he's a goaltender that other goaltenders could not replicate. Nobody could play the position the way he played it. Um, just because he was so deep in his net and the way he approached the game and how good he was in tight because he was so deep with the reactions. And we talked to Danny Briere the night of the draft when we were out there, and we asked him what goal he gave him fits, and, and he mentioned Lundqvist just because he sat so deep in his net, but he always looked so big, which is kind of odd. Yeah, and absolutely, and, and he wasn't one of the gargantuan goalies that, no. that came along a couple of years later. He just he just looked big in his net, and he gave you nothing. He gave you nothing. He never committed early. Yep. And that that that's what made, it, it, made oh. it so hard to beat. You know, and um, you know, and every goalie gave up the occasional bad goal, right? But I never saw I never saw the guy get rattled. Uh-uh. Even you know, even if there even if there was a bad goal, even the team in front of him let down on occasion. Never, he just saved me. He was so mentally tough. You know, there, there are some guys who who transcend the team they play for. I mean, he played for one of the Flyers' arch rivals the whole time. But but anybody who loves hockey had to just respect the hell out of this this guy because he was, you, you knew he was a once-in-a-generation player at his position. And uh, even if you weren't rooting for his team, you had to you had to admire and respect the player. And there's not, not very many guys like that. So... You know, he he had a, just an unbelievable career. I think we were all privileged to watch him for all those years, and it 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 is a shame that uh, you know he he had to go out because of because of health issues. Yeah, he couldn't go out on his own terms. I, I hate that for him. I do because I I imagine that that's going to be something that's going to be tough for him to come to grips with, that he didn't get to skate off on, under his own terms. Um, but the other thing about his game too is there was no element of his game. There was no weakness. It wasn't like. Uh, yeah, he's great on everything, but except for, you know, rebound opportunities. Or he, he's not great on every. He's great at everything except for, you know, layered. There was every element of threat from a shot from a puck. He was good at. It's crazy. There's just no weakness to his game, and he was a A100 class guy. Uh, he's insanely good looking. I mean, he must have mangled feet or something, bad breath. Something's got to be wrong with him, right? <laughs> Nobody's that perfect. But, yeah. boy, he is one hell of a, an NHL goaltender, and he'll be going into the Hall of Fame, and deservedly so. So uh, tip of the cap to the king, Henrik. Henrik Lundqvist, who calls it a career. And maybe maybe right in some ways, Bill, though, that he never did wear another jersey other than for his country. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it would have been would have been nice for him if he could have you know, I guess finish up with Washington because that was his intention. But yeah, it, it it is kind of fitting that he never played for anyone other than anyone other than the Rangers. And you know, again, it was uh, it was a once in a generation player. So hats off to him. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Bill, thanks for doing this. Uh, whew, man, we are just days away at this point from Flyers development camp. It is now, I guess, just like six days away. We'll be over there at the skate zone and. Uh, taking it all in and reporting on it for everybody, and uh, hopefully everybody will be checking it out as well. We'll be back Wednesday with another brand-new episode of Flyers Daily. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you Wednesday's episode of Flyers Daily.